Thank you for listening to Sozo Church in Spokane, Washington. For more information on Sozo Church, visit sozospokane.com. Make sure you guys knew that uh, we we are a church that uh, that has been given directives by the Lord. We don't get to just choose what we want to do. Uh, we are we are in submission and surrender to Jesus. And so, uh, you know, when 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 God put together what you are currently experiencing uh, as Sozo Church, the the merging of Sozo Church and Rock of Ages Christian Fellowship, um, we, we 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 took some time. We we prayed. We sought the Lord. He gave us three directives. Three directives. You can. You all have these memorized. They're they're written on your fridges. I know they're they're uh, painted on the walls of your home, uh, right? They, no. Okay. So uh, our three directives are simple. We are called to preach the gospel of Jesus to everyone in Spokane. We are called to produce genuine disciples of Jesus, and we are called to partner in the global mission of Jesus. Uh, it's very important to us that we understand that, that that word is mission, not missions. Jesus has one mission across this entire planet. Amen. And so we partner with Global Missions. Mission. Oh my gosh, I did it. We partner in the Global Mission. Man, fired. Uh, we partner in his mission. We are called to do what God has called us to do here. Right? You're called to do what God's called you to do where he's called you to be. Right? We're called together to, to do what God's called us to do here. And we partner with those called in other places to engage in the mission of God in those places. Amen? And so today we get to honor uh, someone, uh, a couple that are here with us today, uh, Rob and Chris Vandenbos. Yes, I'm going to make you guys stand up and embarrass you. I know, I know, I know. Uh, these are a couple of our missionaries from the Philippines. Can we give it up for them? Stay standing. We're going to pray for you. Uh, I'm going to ask George Aaron on. Would you guys all just uh, stretch out your hands toward them? We're going to pray for them real fast. I'm going to ask George if he would lead us out in prayer. I figure ask the guy who's part Filipino to pray for the missionaries in the Philippines. That seemed like a cohesive thing to me. Father, we just thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus, and we ask for the shed blood to be put over this couple in Jesus' name. We ask for the power that raised Jesus from the dead to overshadow and overtake, overcome, and overwhelm the nation of the Philippines. In Jesus' name, Lord, we ask that the Great Commission would have free reign and that souls and harvest would come forth. We call forth this nation, all islands, all people, all dialects, from the mountains to the sea to come Lord, we ask that you would release resources of the kingdom into their hands, finances, equipment, land. We ask for kingdom relationships, partnerships. Let the innovation of the kingdom come in new ways to work together. Let this couple be unifiers 
of the church of the Philippines in Jesus' name. Let them be those voices who call from the north and the south, from the east and the west to come. Let the Spirit say come. Let the bride in the Philippines say come. Lord, we ask for kingdom results, the harvest of souls. Stir, Holy Spirit, the heart of the Philippines until she bows her knees, proclaims the name of Jesus, and turn. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. We bless them. We are honored that they're here with us. Uh, I just want to say, as the pastor of this house, uh, if, if you got a little change in your pocket going jing-a-ling-a-ling, throw it at them. If you want to give them some money, come on and bless them today. You guys take your liberty and do that. Uh, we want to bless them. We want to make sure that they know that they are loved here. Know that, know that as, a, as a people, as a house, uh, 10% of everything we bring in financially, uh, we give away. And so they're part of that. They're part of what we sow into. But I just want to encourage you, um, if it's on your heart and you want to bless them financially before they leave today, just go over there and, and do so and, and take your liberty. Amen? Awesome. Uh, we are in the midst of a series through the Gospel of John. Uh, we got a lot to cover today, uh, and I'm going to do uh, my best to try to talk fast, so I'm going to hope you do your best to listen fast, because uh, we're, we're going to go quick here. Uh, we we sort of we ended halfway through what I planned for last week, so I want to try to get through the rest of it this week, but I want to make sure that those of you uh, uh, who, who were either here last week or not here last week remember what we talked about last week, because it was last week. Right? You've slept a few times, and every time you sleep, a little bit of stuff falls out. Is that just me? Right? The older I get, the more it falls out every time I fall asleep. Um, I was thinking about this the other day. My favorite childhood memory was my back not hurting. My favorite childhood memory. Uh, if, if, you, if you've taken notes, we're, we're just going to review very quickly. Uh, we talked about this last week. Uh, we're, kind of, we're kind of hanging out in this idea here for the next few weeks. Uh, my, my hope is that we can expand, catch me, catch me, expand our understanding of salvation. We, 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 I think we underestimate what has been accomplished on our behalf by Jesus, and therefore, okay, okay, because we underestimate what's been done for us, we underestimate what can be done for others. That was way better than you responded. Right? We doubt the gospel's capacity to transform our families because we doubt the gospel's capacity to transform us. But it's not that the gospel is incapable of transforming us. Hello? It's the fact that we have had a misunderstanding, a limited understanding, a diminished understanding of what the gospel actually has accomplished. And my people perish, the scriptures say, for lack of knowledge. So this is the first kind of step. We can go more. There's a lot more. But I just want to take us a little bit back and help us see a little bit more. And I said salvation is redemption, reconciliation, and restoration. And, and we, we, we limit salvation in thinking that it's only one of these things or only partially these things. Again, defining terms here, we like to do that. Redemption is our deliverance from sin. Everybody say amen. Reconciliation is our deliverance to God. And restoration is the deliverance of purpose. God restores our purpose. And what you remember I said last week, because you all just went back and listened to it over and over again so that it got in your spirit. Sure. Uh, that without reconciliation to God, your redemption is empty and your restoration is hollow. Right? Right? Hollow, hollow purpose 
empty freedom if, if that freedom doesn't lead us into restored relationship to God. If our, if our restored relationship with God is not the place from which our purpose flows, then what good is it? And so we've been looking at this idea of our reconciliation, and Jesus prays and speaks to the Father clearly about this reconciliation and the union that we have with God in John 17, where we just happen to be. Isn't that, isn't that convenient? And what we looked at last week is I wanted to show us how John 17 is, is really declaring what John 14 explains. So we're going to look at both of those passages again because you loved it so much last time. We're going to do it again this time. I'm just going to declare those things that are not as though they were. Um, and we're going to stand to our feet for the reading of God's Word. John 17, you can go to John 17 first, and then it's just a, a quick little page turn back or a few swipes over uh, to get back to John 14. I'm going to read verses 1 through 8 here first, and then 18 through 26. It says, then when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father... The hour has come, glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed." I have manifested your name to the people you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and the world, uh, sorry, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. Me. Now let's go ahead and jump up to John 17, verse 18. It says, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their words. Everybody say, that's me. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given them. That they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you've given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, Though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Now, back up. Let's go to John 14. How many people love the Bible? John 14, we're going to start in verse 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. 
No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on you do know him, for you have seen him. Philip said to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his work. Believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I go to the Father. Now let's jump down to verse 16. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. Everybody say another helper. Another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. He will be where? In you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. And that day you will know that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I in you. Let's pray together this morning, church. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your living, active, breathing, effective, clear word to us. God, we rejoice over the hearing of your word. We rejoice over the receiving of your word, and we rejoice over the the fulfillment of your word in our lives. Lord, all your word does is cause joy to be birthed into our heart. So we ask, God, that you would give us ears to hear, hearts to receive, and feet to respond to your word. Let us receive your word as your word. Not as the opinions of man, not as religious text, not as sacred writings, not as advice for living, not as just one more perspective, but rather, God, as the revealed word from our loving Heavenly Father, Creator, and Sustainer. God, we receive your word. Let it do its work, God. Let it build up. Let it tear down. Let it remove. Let it restore. We come to you, God, with our hearts open and the request in our mouth that you do what only you can do. You whisper in our ears and you change the very makeup of our souls. Wash us in your word today, God. Wash us in your word today, God. For your glory, for your glory, for your glory, and for the good of all people. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Come on, everybody said? Would you greet somebody real quick and then grab a seat?
Amen, amen, amen. We're going to go ahead and jump through. I'm going to continue uh, kind of reviewing this morning. Want to continue making sure that we remember where we were, we pick up where we left off. If you're taking notes, last week when we were together, uh, last week when we were together, I talked to you about seeing Holy Spirit as finisher. We saw Holy Spirit as finisher last time when we were together. This morning, I want to talk to you about the reality that Holy Spirit is indweller. I want to talk to you about how Holy Spirit doesn't just finish, but He indwells. How ultimately, Holy Spirit applies everything Jesus supplies. Uh, we're going to go real quick on this review. Uh, you know what that means when a preacher says he's going to go quick? It means nothing. It means absolutely nothing. Um, but I really am going to try. I feel like there's some, a place we need to get to, and I don't want to spend too much time on this, but I want to make sure that we connect where we've been to where we are so that we can stay connected as we go where we're going. So we saw last week, again, I'm going to go very quickly through this, uh, Jesus came to impart eternal life to us, right? Jesus was sent by Abba to accomplish this task through delivering us from deception, delusion, depravity, and death. He takes upon himself our deception, our delusion, our depravity, even our death, and frees us from that, and thus, thus, thus delivers to us and us to eternal life. Eternal life isn't about the, the, not just about the quantity of our days. Come on, it's about the quality of our days. So eternal life is knowing God. Everybody say knowing God. Eternal life is knowing God. Again, it's, it's not just, it, many people talk about, about, oh, you know, when I get to eternity. Can I, can I tell you from the words of Jesus, welcome to eternity, Eternal life, Jesus says, is knowing the Father and knowing Jesus. If, if that is a reality in your life, you are in your eternal state. Knowing, then, is not just a mental knowing, but knowing is a union of intimacy. Again, we looked at this. The Greek word here is gnosko. Everybody say gnosko. Gnosko does mean to know, perceive, and be acquainted with, but deeper than that, and culturally we found out that it was an idiom for the intimacy of a husband and wife. It is a marital intimacy. It's the way that a husband knows his wife. That's the kind of union, that's the kind of knowing that we are to have with God that is going to result in eternal life. So it's not just about memorizing facts and figures about God. Hello, somebody. It's about actually knowing him. Right? You might be a fan of, of a sports team or a specific athlete, and you may know all kinds of data points and statistics about that athlete, but come on, you don't really know them. You're like, no, I do. I follow them on Instagram. No, you know what they eat, but you don't know them. Come on. This idea of knowing someone in intimacy has really gotten messed up in our current cultural moment because, because we do have all of these perceived ways, come on, of, of pretending like we know people. I mean, stop and think, how many people follow you and do you follow on, on worthless, I mean, social media? And we pretend like that somehow makes everything for, for, for connection. But if, if, come on, if 2020 and 2021 and 2022 taught us anything, come on, it's that that kind of connection is inferior and insufficient. 
And so, so, so it's not even just the connection that we're supposed to have with those that we genuinely know. No, this kind of knowledge is an intimate, intimate, intimate union. And this union is by Holy Spirit's indwelling. We know and experience this union through the indwelling of Holy Spirit. Again, this is what we saw in John 17. He, he's, he's just having a conversation with his father. In John 14, he's explaining what's going on in that union to those that need the explanation. So he's explaining to Philip this. He's explaining the way this works. We saw this really beautifully in, in, in the Passion Translation, John 14, 16, where, where, where uh, Dr. Simmons paraphrases it this way. He says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another Savior. Everybody say another Savior. The Holy Spirit of truth, who will be to you a friend just like me, and he will never, never, never leave you. The world won't receive him because they can't see him or know him, but you will know him intimately because he will make his home in you and will live inside of you. Lots to unpack here, which we did last week. encourage you to go back and listen to that if you missed it, but just by way of review, the the thing we need to remember as we look at this passage, because some of us see that another Savior, and we sort of kind of recoil a little bit. We sort of back up and say, hey, you need to be careful there, but the thing you need to remember is Holy Spirit is He is God, which means anything you can say about God, you can say about Holy Spirit, and it's not heresy. We need to get this. We need to get this. Because for too long, we have mistakenly used language like this. Even in in theological, academic spheres, we say things like this. Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. And instantly, your brain thinks third means hierarchical. He's third in importance. Well, he's third in divinity. Holy Spirit is as God as the Father. Holy Spirit is as God as the Son. And yet, we, we, many Christians, come on, come on, come on. Many Christians will, will, will realize that. And they'll, there's even some Christians who receive Holy Spirit as God but we are called to relate to Holy Spirit as God. The shift happens, the meaningful application happens, not when we recognize and say, "Mm, yes, I intellectually will agree with you that Holy Spirit is God, or even I will receive him as God and I will include him as one of the members of the Godhead. No, 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 but do you relate to him as God? Do you have a relationship with Holy Spirit? Or is he just kind of, right, like the weird brother over there? Is he just kind of that relative that you hope doesn't come talk to you at the family reunion? By the way, this is just free pastoral advice. If you're sitting there going, what do you mean I don't have that relative? You are that relative then. If you're like, I love everyone coming and talking to me. They don't ever do it, so I go talk to them. And you're like, yeah, it's just, this is just free help. This is just... It's not Bible, but it is truth, okay? Um, right? We, we sort of treat, again, I, I made this joke too many times, but we sort of treat the, the, the Godhead like, like, the, like, the, like Jesus is the good cop, the, the, the Father is the bad cop, and the Holy Spirit is the weird cop. 
right? Like you just, but we, we've got to learn to relate to him as Holy Spirit, meaning that his activity in our lives needs to be received as divine, as the sovereign moving of God. Holy Spirit is, 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 is God. Amen? To not see him as any less God than the Father or any less God than the Son. So then we saw in, in, in John 14, right, that the Holy Spirit is your, your, your admission and your advocate. He's your admission. He's your entrance into union. He will be with you. He will be in you, right? That, that's, what, that's what the promise that Jesus makes to us, that the Holy Spirit will, will abide and dwell. I love, the way, I, I love the way the Passion says it, right? He's going to make his home within us. This gives whole new meaning to the idea, right, that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He's where, we are where he dwells, amen? So he's our admission into union, and he's our advocate against rejection. But the thing that we sort of, this is sort of where we started the land last week, is we see that he is another savior. He is another savior. He is the one, again, I don't have time to go back and do all of this, so, so just if you need to, if this, is, if this is like hitting you weird, I promise, go back. I did a better job last week of unpacking this. I had more time to do it. But, but, but we saw that really when we, when we start breaking down the etym etymology of this word, parac uh, parakletos, we saw that he is another savior. He's not just one who's our advocate who, who fights for us, but he's actually the one who finishes all that is still uh, left to be finished. He's the one that literally, we saw this, he ends the curse. Everybody say curse. Holy Spirit ends the curse. He's the Savior that brings to a completion. And now the, the, the question that bubbles up in us then is, well, well, wait, then are you saying that Jesus is insufficient? No, absolutely not. Jesus is not insufficient in any way, shape, or form. Rather, the way I've tried to explain this, this union, this partnership between all of the members of the Godhead is that Holy Spirit applies, come on, what Jesus supplies. All that Jesus accomplishes for us, Holy Spirit comes and makes a reality in our experiential interior world. Holy Spirit, he's not just for tongue talking anymore. See, this is, this is the issue, though. The team that claims Holy Spirit as their mascot, I say that because we put doves on everything, has diminished the role of Holy Spirit to really nothing more than the force in Star Wars. Come on, talk to me. Am I the only one? Right? The Holy Spirit was something you tried to acquire so you could have power. And you knew you got the power if you, you know, started naming Japanese auto manufacturers while you were getting prayed for. Honda, Toyota, Suzuki, right? That's why, that's why you really should buy Japanese cars. Because the scriptures say that the entire church fit into one accord. And when the Spirit prays within you, the Spirit tells you you should about a Honda. Um, 
These are this. I'm just trying to prove to all the charismatics in the room that I'm a part of the team. Okay, these are dumb charismatic jokes from the '90s. Uh, everything old is new again. So. Uh, I'm a part of this team. The problem is that for too long, we've just diminished his role as this sort of like the, the, the mystical pieces and that's it. And li listen, I, I want to just be totally, completely open and transparent. All the stuff that you want to lump into that camp, I want twice of all of it, right? I'm good with signs and wonders. I, I'm good with goosebumps. I'm good with speaking in tongues. I'm good with healing. I'm good with people falling over. I'm good with all of that stuff if the Holy Spirit wants to do it. I'm good with all of it. But I'm not good with limiting what Holy Spirit does to just that. Because the scriptures teach us that there is so much more. That he actually takes all that is supplied by Jesus and applies it to our experiential interior world. Because you can intellectually know that Jesus uh, procured and secured a covenant for you between, uh, or rather uh, your benefit of a covenant secured for you between the Father and the Son. You can intellectually understand that, but if it doesn't change your life, I'm sorry, I'm just going to say this and you can email me at marketsosespokane.org, what good does it do you? Sure, I can mentally know that, but if it doesn't actually change anything in the way that I live my life, then I'm sorry, I don't have another word. Is, is it not worthless? And how dare us say that the thing that costs more than anything else is worthless? So rather than the value problem is not a value problem, it's a perceived value problem. We, we've, got, we've, got to, we've got to expand our understanding of these things. And so I said John 14 explains John 17, right? We, we're, we're, all, we're all there. What I want to do today is I want to help us see that, that Romans 8, 14 through 17, and Galatians 4, 1 through 7, explain John 14. Where, where Jesus talks about this idea of not leaving us as orphans, but, but through the indwelling of Holy Spirit, dealing with that, in Romans 8 and Galatians 4, we have this unpacked even greater. And, and I just want to say this. I know of no two passages within the scriptures that better mirror each other than Romans 8 and Galatians 4. They, they are like mirrors of one another. They, they echo one another. They were both written by Paul, so this isn't a surprise. He's unpacking very similar things in similar wording and similar verbiage. Again, uh, just because I like it, I like the way it sounds, and I also like what it does in offending religious people, I'm going to read these to us uh, out, of, out of this. I find it very helpful for devotional reading, uh, the Passion Translation by uh, uh, Dr. Simmons. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good help to us in some of these things. And some of these passages, I often find it helpful uh, because some of these passages we've heard before and our ears get numb to them. And sometimes just a, a, a new sort of wording can help us grab onto some of what is here for us. So we're going to read uh, Romans <clears throat> uh, chapter 8, verses 14 uh, through 17. And I'm just going to go straight and read Galatians, which will be hard because I want to just unpack all of it. But, but we've got a specific goal to this morning. So it says, the mature children of God are those who are moved by the impulses of the Holy Spirit. Come on, that's worth saying amen. The mature children of God 
are those who are moved by the impulses of the Holy Spirit. And you did not receive the spirit of religious duty leading you back into fear of never being good enough, but you have received the spirit of full acceptance enfolding you into the family of God, and you will never feel orphaned. For as he rises up within you, our spirits join him in saying the words of tender affection, Beloved Father. For the Holy Spirit makes God's fatherhood real to us as he whispers into our innermost being, You are God's beloved child. And since we are his true children, we qualify to share all his treasures. For indeed, we are heirs of God himself. And since we are joined to Christ, we are also, we also inherit all that he is and all that he has. We will experience being co-glorified with him, provided that we accept his suffering as our own. Go, go straight to Galatians chapter 4 now. It says, let me illustrate. <clears throat> as long as an heir is a minor, he's not really much different than a servant, although he is master over all of them. For until the time appointed by the father, the child is under domestic supervision of the guardians of the estate. So it is with us. When we were juveniles, we were enslaved under the hostile spirits of the world. But when the time of fulfillment had come, God sent, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. <clears throat> Yet all of this was so that he would redeem and set free those held hostage to a full legal adoption as children. And so, and so that we would know that we are his true children, God released the spirit of sonship into our hearts moving us to cry out intimately, my father, my true father. Now we're no longer living like slaves under the law, but we enjoy being God's very own sons and daughters. And because we're his, we can access everything, everything our father has. For we are heirs because of what God has done. Come on, does anybody want to admit that that's better news than we, we heard before? <clears throat> Accept Jesus and you won't burn for all of eternity. That's good news. You being accepted into the family of God is better news. You being included into the, 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 the table. Come on. We talked about Mephibosheth, remember? You being given a place at the family table is just straight up better news. So what I want to do is I want to, I want to unpack these here as quickly as I can. I want us to see, that, again, remember, Holy Spirit is applying what Jesus is supplying. So it was, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was accomplished by Jesus. Holy Spirit is taking that and making it an internal reality so that it can become an external reality. So then by way of Holy Spirit's indwelling, you have the necessary elements for maturity. My wife wants me to hear this message. 
let me, that's mean. My kids want me to hear this message. Um, we, 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 we need to grasp this, though, that maturity from a kingdom, from a, from a, from a new covenant perspective, we, we have had a misunderstanding of what maturity is. See, we think maturity, when we, when we say maturity, we think that it's somehow the state of completion or advancement in our development, right? When somebody sort of reaches the, the, the developmental stage of completion, we go, okay, that's somebody who is mature. I literally, I, I love when dictionaries do this. I looked up mature, and it said the state of not being immature. <laughs> to which I was like, you know, it's like ridiculous. Um, We think maturity, though, right, is, is some, sort of, some sort of ability to be, to be stable and stoic and sober in our thinking and our behaving. Let's be real. We think maturity means to just ha- kind of have given up on having fun. It's often how it's sort of, it's sort of framed, right? Well, we got to do the responsible thing. And yet, and yet here we see in Romans 8.17, that maturity is actually about not so much discipline or development, but rather dependence upon Holy Spirit. It's about surrender. Sons surrender. I love the way, I love the way it says it here. Sons surrender to the impulses of Holy Spirit. So that means, okay, I'm, I'm going to say something, and I, I, need, I need you guys to actually listen so that if you email me, you email me for the right reasons, not because you didn't listen. That means that maturity isn't about your ability to memorize and follow the principles of God, but rather your capacity to know and respond to the person of God. Do we love the principles of God? Yes. Is your life going to be better if you abide by the principles of God? But knowing and following the principles cannot replace knowing and following the person. See, this is actually the problem. I'm not supposed to say this. Preachers are not supposed to say this. You can follow the principles of God, not know the person of God, and still receive benefit from following the principles. That's actually a problem. Because it leads people into thinking, well, I do the right stuff, I behave the right way, my life seems to have fruit, so therefore I must be good. Everything must be fine and dandy. This must be everything God has for me. But the problem is if you don't know the person, you're missing out on what the ultimate purpose of those principles are. Again, I, I, I'm, 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 I'm living in a, a land that doesn't actually exist. Because in reality, in reality, you cannot separate the principles of God from the person of God. But we create a fantasy land where we think we can. And the problem is that these, this, this, this creates this idea of, well, I'm not really into the person, I just want to follow the principles. I just want the benefits, so I'm just going to follow the principles. And listen, you can, that's, that's an option. But you're missing out on the, on the real benefit of all of it. 
This is why, though, we have to relate to Holy Spirit as God, so that we will go with Him as He has impulses. See, seeing God as Holy Spirit, seeing, seeing Holy Spirit as God as, as much as the Father or the Son as God is great. Seeing that and recognizing that is great. And even, even, even trying to relate to him is that. But what I'm, what I'm really trying to get to is, is Holy Spirit your God? It's not just enough to say, well, he is God. And I will relate to him as God. But, but when, what, is, is he your personal God? Let me, let me, you're, I'm, not, I'm not getting this across. Remember when something other than God was your God? Come on. Anybody want to, anybody want to talk to me at all this morning? Remember when something other than God was your God? Maybe it was a person, maybe it was an activity, maybe it was a possession you had, maybe it was something you put in your body, maybe it was what, whatever it was. Remember how much that thing controlled you? I remember what I allowed my life to become when it was under the, the, when I was following the impulses of that God. I remember the horrible things I did to others and to myself in pursuit of my devotion to that God. What I'm trying to say is Holy Spirit as much your God as that thing used to be your God. Am I willing to just wreck everything at the impulse that he has within me? That's what the new covenant says is maturity as sons. Is having Holy Spirit be the supreme object of my attention and my affection. Because then, only then, can we be mature and we need to be mature so that we can live as heirs of God. For Holy Spirit brings with him to those who are mature sons of God, what comes along with the Spirit is this thing we call freedom. Now, I just want to jump on this soapbox for just a minute. We have been sold a lie that you have to choose between the totalitarian regime of legalism or the dystopian anarchy of lawlessness. Those are your only options. That's all that's presented. I can prove it. Somebody comes and preaches against or pre- preaches legalism to you, preaches follow the rules to you, and, and if, you, if you want to push against that, where do you go? You go, don't tell me what to do. I can do whatever I want. Come on. You can't tell me what to do. I'm an adult, sort of. Right? We push against rules and regulations because we say, I can do whatever I want. We, we jump straight to lawlessness. Don't, don't, you can't tell me anything to do. I can do whatever I want. Or you come and you preach against lawlessness and, and, and you, you do that, by, by, or sorry, you, you preach against legalism, and what, what do people say? Well, you got to be careful, preacher. You're going to give people a license to sin, right? The only options are either teach legalism or just let people, you know, like, you know, just chase around whatever they want to chase around. 
Those seem to be the only things presented to us. Legalism, lawlessness. Which one are you going to pick? And here's, here's, here's the experience of many of us. Many of us, pre-conversion, I need, I need to know if this resonates. Pre-conversion, we tended to lean one way or the other, right? Right, we, you're either a rule follower or a rule breaker, right? Rule maker, rule breaker. Those, those tend to be kind of the, the camps we live in. And so inevitably what happens is, right, you, you were, maybe, maybe you were like me, this is gonna shock some of you, and you were a rule breaker. I know, um, crazy to think, right? Right? Uh, Maybe you pushed against rules and regulations. You, you were more on the lawlessness camp, so you, 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 you step into the family, and because you, because you know the bondage of that, you willingly walk into the bondage of legalism because they're the only options presented. And you're like, well, I've, <laughs> I've seen the bottom of this barrel, and it's, there's not a whole lot of fun left at the bottom of that barrel, so I'll go over here. And so we live over here, and we scream at people over there that they should come over here. Or maybe you like your polo shirt tucked into your khakis, and so you come to know faith, right? You come to know Jesus, and you're so used to rules and regulations that you come to know Jesus, and you go, this was bondage, this was no good, this didn't lead to any joy or life in my life. So you jump right over to lawlessness, and you just become this crazy, wild whatever, and you don't follow anything. But what I want us to understand is that, that that dichotomy is a false dichotomy. It is not the, the, the binary that we have been sold, either lawlessness or legalism. Those are your options. Because the reality is there is a better way. 2 Corinthians 3.17. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is. It's not legalism or lawlessness. You can choose liberty. I love this. I just, I just, like, I just like, like the passion. Now the Lord I'm referring to is the Holy Spirit. And wherever he is Lord, there is freedom. So we've got to understand that we, we need to give in to the impulses of the Spirit because as we do, we remain in freedom. We're not held down to legalism. We're not held down to lawlessness. We're given the joy of liberty. Let me try to explain this and then we'll move on. If your life is a ship, a boat, I need to say boat because if I slip saying ship, we're going to have a problem on the YouTube. Um, a boat. We seem to be only told, well, you know, you can either just let yourself, you know, kind of like an inner tube, just get pushed around by the currents of our culture. Or you can get your paddles out and you can row real hard and be self-disciplined and you can fight back against it. All the while, God is screaming at us, put up the sail. Be under the government of the wind. And just stay in the wind. The problem is, <laughs> the wind goes where the wind wants to go. And I'm like, I'd like to go over there. And the wind's like, we're going over here. And I argue, and I go, but the principles say I should go over there. Like, we're going over here. I am the principal. One of my favorite cartoons I've ever seen in my entire life was a painting of Jesus walking on the water. The disciples scream at Jesus and say, Jesus, you're in the way. And he says, no, I'm not. I am the way. I want to believe that happened. I just, just to be totally transparent, I just think that's awesome. Um, 
We need to come under the government of the wind so that we can live in liberty. So as the Holy Spirit comes and brings liberty, you are set free from all, all, all. How much is all? All bondage. We are set free from our bondage. We're set free from fear that keeps us in bondage. Bondage to sin and bondage to, to, to shame that keeps us from running to the water of life. Bondage to religion that makes us think we have to earn our way or merit our way to something that's only ever given to us as a gift. All of this is summarized in these two passages in Romans and Galatians under this understanding, under this, this header of this orphan spirit. The spirit of being orphaned, the spirit of being abandoned and unwanted. We become slaves to sin, shame, and ourselves through this. We feel worthless because we feel abandoned. We feel like we have to earn or merit our acceptance. Both of those statements, both are a result of the deception and delusion of the original fall. You have not been abandoned, and you cannot earn or merit your way. I don't know who I'm talking to. You have not been abandoned. And right now, you are making a list of all of the reasons you've been abandoned. All the evidence that you have piled up for yourself that says you've been abandoned. And I'm here to tell you, that pile of evidence is not true. Uh, Jesus said it himself. I will never leave you nor forsake you. You might have tried to leave him, but he's a faster runner than you. We see this in the very beginning. Adam and Eve, created, loved, honored, provided for, given everything. God makes a planet perfect for them to live on and then says, the perfect planet isn't good enough. I'm going to make a perfecter garden for them to live in. I'm going to remove all barriers to their intimacy with one another. I'm going to give them everything they need. All they have to focus on is knowing and loving me and knowing and loving one another. That's it. That's the totality of their existence. He goes, by the way, one tree. Don't eat it. What's the first thing they do? Let's go eat the tree. Why didn't they chop down the tree? That's what I want to know. Okay, they, they go and they do this. And what happens in the heart of Adam and Eve? They go and they hide. What happens in the heart of God? He goes and he finds. This, this, this lie of religion that says, well, you know, you, you rejected God and so he rejected you. No, no, no. Our God does not do rejection. Period. End of sentence. No explanation needed. I don't know how much more clear he could make it. He says he marries himself to humanity, and then he says he hates divorce. He gives us an entire book in the, the, the Minor Prophets. You know the Minor Prophets? We call them the Minor Prophets so you know you don't have to read them. The Minor Prophets gives us an entire book that's literally just about a, a husband who marries a prostitute, and the prostitute is unfaithful to the husband, but guess what the husband does? continues to go after her. What's God trying to show us? You cannot outrun the love of God, period. Full stop, end of revelation. You can't do it. He does not do abandonment. And so the Spirit of God comes within us to prove this on our, in our inner being. 
and we have to relate to him as God so that as he whispers this in our ear, as he does this work within us, we don't fight it. But we, what do we do? We, we surrender to the impulses of the Spirit. And we want to talk about those impulses, and I think it's right and good, about how we live our lives and what we do and where we should go and, and all of those things. All of those things, yes and amen. But again, don't miss out on the impulse that's actually mentioned here, which is him confirming to you the reality of your status as son and his status as father. He delivers you from the bondage that comes through this orphaned spirit. Jesus promises to never leave you as an orphan, and the Holy Spirit expels that orphan spirit. Holy Spirit sets you free and proves and proves and proves not just, not just, okay, not just that you are related to God, but that you relate to God. But I'm gonna read this to you out of the ESV because I think it'll help. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself, who is the spirit? God. God himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. That's, that's, Dr. Simmons says he makes God's fatherhood real to us. It becomes an experiential reality. So, so, so I say it this way, right? That, that you, you are not just related to God, but you relate to God. Let me unpack this a little bit more. This means you see God not just positionally as the Father, but personally as your Abba. Real fast, we talked about Abba here before. I'm not going to spend too much time on it. Abba is literally, it's, it's actually not a Greek word. It's actually an Aramaic or a Hebrew word. Whatever term, hear, hear me, whatever term comes to your mind when you think of your male parent, however you referred to them in the, in the relational way, right? If you called him dad, I call mine pop. I don't know why, I just do. Uh, Pop, dad, daddy, papa. That's what the word Abba means. It's not just a positional title like father. It's a personal title. It's a, can I say it this way? It's a relational title. So Holy Spirit comes within you and causes you not to just realize that you are related, but that you are to relate. Are you tracking with me? This is what Holy Spirit does within us. If you've struggled, okay, if you've struggled with uh, what, what, what I call around here Abba awareness, being aware that God is Abba, the pathway to that is not to just try to grit your teeth and just use that title. I don't care, listen, listen, I don't care at all if you use the title Abba. For me, it's become very helpful. Because I, I struggle to relate to someone I call father. I just think of Darth Vader. I didn't say that was your struggle. I said it was mine. Thanks for laughing at me. Um, right? I just, I just, I, I either think of Darth Vader or the other guy that always wore a black robe, the priest in my grandma's parish. You know, like that's that's father. I don't. But th- my, my none of my kids call me father unless they're just being mean. I don't care whether you use that term. What I care about is whether or not when you realize or think about or engage in your relationship, come on, to the Lord, to God, 
that it is one of not just position, but person. That you recognize his role, his, 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 his relationship to you as Abba. As you see him as Abba, I love, I love Romans 8. It shows it so clearly. As you see him as Abba, as that revelation, as that realization, as that relationship takes on more and more reality within your life, you'll realize that you are his beloved. He's Abba and you're beloved. That's how you see him changes how you see you. Now, I want to just pause for just a second because I've been negligent in this. There is one area that, that often gets used as a way to divide us as people, but in reality, if we really see it from the right perspective, it actually unites all of us. And that's this. All of us, everyone in this room, every single person in, with, within the sound of my voice, all of you, had a, a father who failed to be a perfect picture of who the father really is. Some of you had horrifically messed up dads. Some of us had dads that tried their best, but guess what? Still failed. Gentlemen, we all, if, you're a, if, you're a, if, you, are a, if you have kids, you, we, we, we know this, right? We know we have failed in some way, to some degree, somewhere that has failed. But don't allow, regardless of the scale at which your dad failed you, don't let that stop you from finding the fulfillment of your father need in Abba. The enemy would love nothing more than to use your father's failures to keep you from Abba. Don't let him. You, know, you don't know how messed up my dad is. Okay, you don't know how messed up mine is. My, my, my dad did the best he could, but you don't, are you, are you tracking with what I'm saying? All of our dads failed us. You might wish your dad failed you less, and I would agree. I wish I, wish my, I, wish, I, wish I failed my kids less. I, I've, I've shared this before. This is just free advice for, for dads. No one on the planet have I apologized to more than my children. Dads, just learn how to say you're sorry. Dude, I just watched a bunch of dudes just like all of a sudden they're like, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. They're, 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 they're not swear words, I promise. I'm sorry. I was, learn how to repent to your kids. I would say moms have to do it, but I've never seen my wife fail. So um, I get to do all that. I hog all of the, I hog all of the fails. They're mine. Don't let, don't let, don't let the failure of someone keep you from the fulfillment of the one who is ultimately Abba. Amen? As you see him as Abba, you will see yourself. You'll hear his whisper. You are his beloved child. And as we walk in the fullness of this beloved status, you'll know that you have access. You'll know your access to all he is and all he has. We're going we're gonna to talk about this in the weeks to come, but I just want to highlight it here real quick. You don't gain this access by your self-effort, not by your self-discipline, and certainly not by your self-righteousness, but rather by inheritance through indwelling. Can I get an amen? 
Only mature sons, though, qualify for an inheritance. And you are made mature by the Spirit. By the Spirit that dwells within you, you are given the necessary element for your maturity. Come on, you are given access to the power of God, to the glory of God. You have unlimited access to him personally. You know the code that gets you into the throne room of heaven. You have, ac- you have access to all that he is and all that he has. What are you worried about? Come on, come on, come on. What are you worried about? What are you allowing to rattle your life? Nothing should have access to that part of you. You have access to all that he is and all that he has. And he is Abba. And you are beloved. So what are you freaking out about? Do you, do you, are you seeing where this, this changes the way I live my life? When the unexpected happens, I'm just, I mean, this is what it's done in my life. Can I, te- can I testify? This is what it's done in my life. When the unexpected happens, let me say it this way. When the storm out there comes, it doesn't affect anything in here. I'm not saying that I don't go through storms. I'm saying that the storms never go through me. Because there's, there's God on the inside of me whispering through all of it. I'm Abba. And you're my beloved son. So when everything goes topsy-turvy and the winds blow and the chaos comes and everything get okay, we're going to walk through this. We're gonna do, I'm, I'm being led. I'm, the, the, the sail's up. The wind's blowing. This is where he wants to go. And I, I, I'm being honest. There are times that I'm like, okay, Lord, I, I don't see how this is good, but I know you're good, so I know this will come out to good on the end. If it's not good yet, then you're not done yet. Come on, if it's not good yet, you're not done yet. If I haven't, if I haven't, if I haven't got there, come on, then I'm not done moving yet. Again, this is, this is, this is, I hate this kind of stuff, but it's just true. I hate these kind of statements, but it's true. These statements bother me because they're bumper sticker and they're gross. But listen, this is a good one to just remember. If you're going through hell, don't stop. Right? I mean, like, this, this isn't rocket surgery, right? This is just like, just if, 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 if st- you're like, I'm in the middle of, a, the, the worst thing you can do is just set up camp there. Pull the RV over and be like, well, I guess this is where we live now. Like, no, it's not. Stand to our feet. I think we've got as far as I can get this morning. In the weeks to come, I, I, I want us, we're, we're going to, Lord willing, Lord willing, next week, I, I want us to explore this idea of adoption because I, I think, I think like many things, there's a, there's a, a revelation hidden in this word that we just want to skip over. And I want to spend some time on that, but, but let me, let me just, let me just at least get us to this place 
you are accepted as a son with a place at the table. Again, the best, the best story picture I have found of this within the scriptures is Mephibosheth being welcomed back into the royal family by David. Not because of anything Mephibosheth has done. Come on, not by anything Mephibosheth has done. But because of a covenant made on his behalf by someone else. This is just a beautiful picture. We are accepted into the family of God, into, into sacred union and intimacy, not because of something we have done, but because of a covenant made on our behalf by the Father and the Son. Do you realize the, the gravity of that? That means that you, you are responsible for nothing. Well, but I have, you are responsible for nothing. In the moment Mephibosheth came before David, his only response was one of reception. I think we need to explore what adoption really means. What God means by this word. We're going to do that as we move forward. But this morning, this morning as, as, we, as we come to this place, I just want to remind us once again. The Holy Spirit is within you to make God's fatherhood and your sonship an experiential reality in your life. If you're here and you would be honest and say, yeah, but um, Holy Spirit is not within me. If you would be bold enough to admit that, I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you and ask you, why isn't he? The Bible tells us that if, if we belong to Jesus, the Spirit dwells within us. So the only way you can not have the Spirit is if you, if you don't have Jesus. And again, I was talking to you when I said Jesus doesn't do abandonment. You might have rejected him, but he has rejected your rejection. You might have tried to rebel against him, but he has conquered your rebellion. Your rebellion has failed. Jesus has come to take upon himself all of your, the deception, the lies that have been told to you, all the delusion, all the lies you've told yourself. He's taken upon himself the depravity that those lies produced within your life, all of the behavior, all of the beliefs, all of the bondage that has been produced by those things. He's taken all of that upon himself, even to the point of taking upon himself your death so that you might be delivered, so that you might experience salvation. Again, redemption, reconciliation, and restoration. And he offers this salvation to us as a free gift received, received through repentance and faith, through admitting and abandoning the deception, the delusion, the depravity, the, the, the behaviors, the beliefs, the bondage, all of it. We admit it and we abandon it. We just let it go. We, we stop. We stop running to those things. And faith. Faith doesn't mean that you 
blindly think something that you don't actually think is true. Faith doesn't even mean believing something and claiming something is true. No, what the scriptures talk about when they talk about faith is you embracing and entrusting Jesus for everything. And Jesus promises that as you do that, the very Spirit of God comes and takes up residence within you and confirms within your innermost being that you now belong, come on, to Him. That He is your Father and you are His Son. And I would plead with you if you are here to do just that. To repent and believe. To submit and surrender. We're going to move into our response and we respond through celebration, contemplation, communion. We're going to partake in communion. We're going to partake in the Lord's table. We partake in communion through a method known as antiquation, where we take a piece of bread, we have gluten-free on the ends, we dip it in the juice, we partake. This is what, what I like to call the family meal, meaning if you're a believer here this morning, you don't have to agree with us as a church, you don't have to like what I preached, you don't have to, none of that, you don't have to be a member here, you don't have to follow a specific doctrinal statement of this. If you've repented and believed, this is the family meal, we would love to partake of communion together with you today. If you're not, you're still exploring this Jesus church gospel thing. You don't have to come up here and pretend like you're a Christian and take communion. Please just hang out in your seat. Don't even worry about it. You can partake when it comes when the, when the time comes that you repent and believe. We also commune one with another. And we enjoy the communion of the saints. We have a team of people that'll be over here at the, the cross to my left and your, I don't know, your, your, your back, your right, your right, your right, your front. Um, they would love to meet you. If you, have, if you have a need going on in your life, you just want somebody to pray with you, you need to hear God, you need, to, you need, you need God to move in, in, in and through your life, they would love the opportunity to, to stand and pray with you and see God move on your behalf. We are seeing God do amazing things in this house. Amen? We would love the opportunity to see him do amazing things in your life. So please make use of that. Contemplation, celebration, contemplation, communion. Communion, we talked about contemplation. We're going to take some time, and I just want you to be honest about, about how you have interacted and seen Holy Spirit. I think he wants to move in our hearts. He wants to deliver some people from a, from a, from a spirit, a bondage to this orphan spirit, this fear of never being good enough, this fear of, of thinking you have to pick either legalism or lawlessness when in reality, he's leading you into liberty, into the governance and the government of the wind. I asked the, the, the team though this morning if, if, if we could do something. I, I felt like the Holy Spirit spoke this to me this week. I, I really think there's just this missing piece for many of us of seeing, not just seeing, no, no, that's not right, of relating to Holy Spirit as God. And, and I say that, and, and some of you would, would instantly agree with me. Some of you would instantly disagree with me. But, but let me just talk to all of you. James makes it clear that a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways and ought not to think that they can receive anything. I've taught you this before, but I'm just, as, as, as means of, of reminder, double does not mean 50-50. Double means any amount of mixture. So you might say, well, I relate to Holy Spirit about 90%. I relate to Holy Spirit as God about 90% of the time or to about 90% of what I think I can. He wants to deal with that 10%. You say 95, he wants to deal with the 5%. Well, 99.9, he wants to deal with whatever, come on, 
whatever means, whatever bit is left, where we just kind of want to push it aside, I'm going to give you a quick litmus test. God is Holy Spirit, the Son, and the Father. If that did any kind of, you put them in the wrong order. That's not the way it's in the creeds. If any of that rose up inside of you, there's some work to do. So I'm going to push on one more button. This is, what I, this is what I felt like the Lord, this was the impulse I felt this week for us. We are to worship Holy Spirit. Come on, come on, come on. It, whatever you can do of, to one member of the Trinity, hello, you can do to any and all members. So we're going to take our response. Communion, celebrate, uh, contemplation, and celebration. We're going to celebrate the reality of the divinity, of the lordship, of the sovereignty of Holy Spirit. We're going to worship Him. So this morning, I'm going to pray, and we're going to respond. And I want to encourage you to give yourself as we worship Him to His impulses. So Holy Spirit, we thank You this morning. Holy Spirit, I thank You that You are God. But I thank You more than that, that You are God to us. But I thank you more than that, that you are God in us. We acknowledge and we honor and we glorify Holy Spirit in this place. Oh, that you would topple every idol that we have, even the idols that are named Holy Spirit that are not you. where we have made you a style of worship, where we have made you a gift that we received from you instead of the giver of the gift, where we have diminished your role in our life in any way. Holy Spirit, that you would undo the mixture, that you would be who Jesus says you are, the finisher, the indweller. Holy Spirit, come and be the interior, internal proof that a covenant has been made, that we have been accepted, that you are Abba and we are beloved, that we have access to all that we need for you and you alone are all that we need. Holy Spirit, do a work in the hearts of your people today as we worship. Finish the work. Come on, if there's work to be finished in your heart, just begin to open up your hands, open up your heart. Holy Spirit is here today to finish the work, to apply, come on, what Jesus supplies. Some of you have struggled with feeling accepted the, the entirety of your Christian life. It's led to bondage to legalism. It's led to bondage to, to memorizing principles instead of knowing the person. He's here today to set some people free. I don't know who I'm talking to, but Paul was more worried that the people of God would fall into the bondage of religion than he ever was that they would fall into the bondage of rebellion. So we speak freedom from religious bondage this morning. Freedom from the fear of never being good enough.
freedom from the fear of never measuring up. I proclaim over you the words that Paul himself says by the Spirit, you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You have a joint checking account of righteousness with God himself. And the Spirit dwells in you to bear witness to that today. He's here to finish the work. Come on. Come on. He's here to finish the work. Let's lift our voice. Let's worship him. Let's celebrate him. Let's honor him. Let's recognize and relate to him as we respond to the Lord. Come on, church. Let's respond to the Lord.